Tonight I want to talk about, a, the, if you are on Facebook and caught the little advertisement, if you've been looking for a sign, here it is. If you've been looking for a sign, here it is. There, there's the tendency sometimes, especially in evangelical circles and Pentecostal circles such as we are in, the Assemblies of God, to um, use the spiritual to excuse us not really looking at what Scripture says sometimes and just what we feel. This is what I feel by the Spirit. So I think it's good for us. Maybe there's more of the uh, liturgical churches where they're very structured. It is very based on exactly what Scripture says. And maybe they need to be reminded that the Spirit does move and can uh, cause you to lift your hands, right? Uh, we may need reminders of some of the things that are, are basic to our Christian walk. So if you want to turn in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, that's where we'll spend most of our time tonight. But Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Before we get into that, just to kind of open us up here, here are some laws from different states you may not know that are on the books. In Arkansas, no person shall drive a motor vehicle onto the premises of a drive-in restaurant and leave the premises without parking such motor vehicle unless there is no unoccupied parking space available on the premises. So you're not really legally allowed to just pull in Sonic and go through the drive-thru and leave. You're supposed to have parked at some point. Did you know that? Every one of us are lawbreakers tonight, I guarantee, you, unless you just don't go through drive throughs Here's another one, section 18-54. Sounding of horns at a sandwich shop. No person shall sound a horn on any vehicle at any place where cold drinks and sandwiches are served after 9 p.m. If they serve pop and sandwiches after 9 p.m., you cannot honk your horn there. What I'm guessing is at one point people got impatient, right, when they started drive throughs and they started honking the person in front of them, move it. All right, Oklahoma, it's illegal to have a sleeping, a sleeping donkey in your bathtub after 7 p.m. This is no joke. These are laws. On the no sleeping donkeys in your bathtub after 7. Before 7, free game. After 7, you are a dirty lawbreaker and you deserve to go jail. Colorado, Colorado water laws prohibit the use of rain barrels or any method to catch rain for use they claim the rain has already been legally allocated to the state and individuals may not capture and use water to which he or she does not have the right. The rain belongs to the state of Colorado when it rains over there. So China, here's out of our states, but here's in China. According to a law in China, you must be intelligent to go to college. <laughs> I'm guessing the guy who wrote that did not go to college. All right, so, <laughs> all right, Maryland. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I already knew that last one, but it still makes me laugh. Maryland, <laughs> in Baltimore, it is illegal to take a lion to the movies. I imagine that ruins some movies. Whoever thought of doing that first? Nebraska, here, my my other home state. It it is not a is not legal for a tavern owner to serve beer unless a nice kettle of soup is also brewing. That's in Nebraska. You better have something to feed them if you're going to be giving them alcohol, right? Uh, quick little side story. My dad and I, when I was younger, went um, hunting up in Nebraska, as we did when we lived there a lot. But we'd gone back with some friends of ours, Frank Doss and his son Daryl and I were friends. And Me and Daryl rode in the back of this 
my dad had a, 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 a small truck with a camper shell and put some plywood on it. And me and Daryl rode on the top of that plywood between the camp and that plywood all the way to Nebraska, like 11 hours, wasn't it? And went hunting. And uh, there's a lot to the story we won't go into, but we go in this little podunk town that has one little cafe there, trying to find something to eat, warm up while we're hunting. Total snow everywhere. We go in and uh, it's a tavern. We didn't realize it's a tavern, but it's also their little cafe. So my dad goes in and gets gets a coffee mug, or what he thought was a coffee mug, goes pour coffee in this gruff lady goes, you got my hot chocolate mugs. <laughs> she looked at this lady, has got lipstick smeared all over her face. And, and uh, wasn't that also the time she came out, she had taken a, looked like she had taken a slurp of my, my milkshake. I had lipstick on my straw or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> it was one of those kind of places. All right, well, here in Nevada, in Reno, it's unlawful for any person to carry on, conduct, or maintain any marathon dancing, marathon dancing, or marathon walking. Unlawful for any person to carry on, conduct, or maintain any marathon dancing. Short dancing only. No marathon dancing or walking. All right, New York. It's against the law to throw a ball at someone's head for fun. That's a good law. It's a good law. I hated dodgeball in school. I couldn't throw as hard as the other guys. I got beamed all the time. Um, a, license mu- a license must be purchased before hanging clothes on a clothesline. A fine of $25 can be uh, levied for flirting. And this old law specifically prohibits men from turning around on any street city and looking at a woman in that way. That's how it's written, looking at a woman in that way. A second conviction for a crime of this magnitude calls for the violating male to be forced to wear a pair of horse blinders wherever and whenever and wherever he goes outside for a stroll. That's New York. Wow, they've gone far, far away from their roots. All right. In green, uh, during a concert, it is illegal to eat peanuts and walk backwards on the sidewalks. <laughs> Someone got choked, I guess. I don't know. Uh, in Ocean City, it's illegal for men to go topless in the center of town. It's illegal for men to go topless. That probably should be illegal everywhere, but okay. New York City citizens may not greet each other by putting one's thumb to the nose and wiggling the fingers. (laughs) Ohio. In Oxford, it's unlawful for a woman to appear in public while unshaven. It includes the legs and face. (laughs) That's in there. Okay. In Youngstown, you may not run out of gas. A rooster must, here, Dad, this one's, if you lived in Ohio, you'd have to keep your rooster in control. A rooster must not step back 300 feet from any residence if he wishes to crow. Oh, he must step back. He must step back 300 feet from any residence if he wishes to crow. Um, You may not, and that is from Kenilworth, Illinois. That's where that was the law. You may not sell a toothpaste and toothbrush to the same customer on Sunday. You can't buy both. I guess brushing teeth might be working on the Sabbath, so you can only have one of the two that you need. This is, um, okay, and then uh, there's a few final ones here. It's illegal for a woman to drive a car up Main Street unless her husband is walking in front of the car waving a red flag. <laughs> I just wish I knew the backstories. I mean, you know, every law, there's a backstory. There's a person out there for every law. All right, this is uh, one straight out of Waynesboro, Virginia. It seems that 
Some of the men in town got tired of the female inability to operate a motor vehicle, something that's generally known fact. This is what they wrote, and decided that if they couldn't prohibit women from driving a car, at least they could. The least they could do is warn everyone that they are coming. So anyway, there you are. There are some laws on the books that you may not know existed. Uh, you may have broken some. Uh, I could tell some stories. I got in trouble with uh, fish and game in, in a serious trouble one time because I didn't know that you had to have a permit just to carry a spear gun when you go scuba diving. I was over in Lake Ten Killer, and they were ready to haul me in and my friend Shane and then confiscate his truck and all our dive gear. It was a pretty big, big deal. Um, but the biggest cop-out for uh, us sometimes, there's a law, and we didn't know we were uh, disobeying it, maybe. Maybe we have innocence in it, or uh, maybe we did know, but it's just a hard one not to break. Today I had to, uh, I went to go see Mickey. For those of you who don't know, Mickey is uh, in Washington County Jail, and we're praying for him. Um, but I went to go see him, and so I'm driving morning traffic, and I'm, I'm, I'm barely over the speed limit. I'm just admitting to you, I'm barely over. But Highway Patrolman pulls out about Springdale somewhere, and, and, you know, they've got three lanes now in some of those areas. And there's people have been riding my tail, and I can see people shifting back and forth. And it was kind of funny because I got over and just kind of pulled back a little bit. And I watched as none of them realized the highway patrolman there, and they were just beating it. And he was in front of a semi, so they weren't seeing it until they were past him. And I was just thinking, you know, that's kind of how we operate sometimes, right? The, the law only matters if you're going to get caught. I, I run into guys all the time that are, d- are having trouble in their life, uh, uh, with the law, and uh, they, even though they're trying to do things God's way, they, they tend to think in the way of, well, maybe they won't hold me that accountable for that offense. And really, they should be thinking, maybe I just shouldn't do that offense. You know, Maybe if God will help me, I just quit doing the offense. I don't have to worry about who's going to hold me accountable because I'm accountable to, to God. But our biggest cop-out for spiritual failure and the most common excuse for deliberate, deliberate sinfulness are these words. I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Some of you know, over the past few years, I've covered this a couple times, but it keeps coming back. It's, it, it's something where I feel like the, the, the church as a whole start out with a good plan to get away from legalism. But we, we realize that we made a lot of things important in church that really are not scriptural or are important to Jesus. You know, long skirts versus short ones, as long as they're decent, right? But... But there's churches that get hung up in that or get hung up in, in different things. But we've made things legalistic. And, and really it comes down to sometimes it's our own preferences. Maybe the way we were raised, we were brought up. And we tend to project that onto God's laws. And so people that aren't doing that, we associate that as they are not a, a believer like I am or they're a struggling, believer, struggling believer. But w- w- we, we tend to say, I'm not under the law, but under grace. It's something that's more prevalent now than ever. Uh, and it's not a bad thing to say in the right heart. But, but it, with those seven words, we seek to absolve ourselves sometimes of any spiritual responsibility we might have for our behavior. I, and we, we are confronted about our actions and we might get huffy and tell people to mind their own business or actually it's more like, don't judge me. You know what the Bible says about judging and you hear that a lot. But is that reality? Does, does grace give us an eternal get-out-of-jail-free card? Now, listen, this is important. Some of this is so elementary to you all, you're like, oh, good grief. I think I was here when you preached something about this two years ago or last year or whenever the last time I talked about this subject. But listen, the, the whole thing about eternal security is really back up on the chopping block again for even evangelical churches. 
Is he used to as a matter of people splitting off from that and going more charismatic or evangelical? But there's evangelical churches that have, that have lost hope because they're not seeing people filled with the Spirit and baptized. They're not seeing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have not seen a lot of that here. And I pray and ask God, you know, God, when are, you gonna, uh, when are, when are people going to be released to, to just receive that gift and see it more? But there's churches that are just like, maybe we've had it wrong because we're just not seeing God operate the same way. So, so maybe maybe eternal security really is. Maybe grace is further reaching them than we think. But it's not a matter of how far grace reaches. It's what God's heart and intent really is in the grace that he offers. See, does grace really trump the law? That's the question we get into. Somehow we've gotten the notion that Jesus stamped the Old Testament with a big red letters that say null and void. We don't really need to focus too much on the Old Testament because that's old covenant. That's old news. It's not that way anymore. And so some have drawn the faulty conclusion that the Old Testament no longer matters, that it really doesn't apply to us, but it's just a collection of historical books now. Except for maybe the Ten Commandments that we still believe are important, but most people are now working on an abbreviated version of them, you know, something that fits more with our, our day and time. And they've kind of narrowed it down to just thou shalt not kill as long as you don't kill somebody and you have no harm done. But see, as New Testament believers in Christ, we do live in a time of grace, yes. And it's by the grace of God that we're born again and empowered to serve. But if we are under grace, does that mean that we can then become lawless? Because listen, while you, while you think that this might be too elementary, and maybe the close friends that you have are all in agreement in doctrine with you, in, in our very northwest corner of the state, there are some churches, one's already dissolved, and, and God took care of that, but, but they're taken to the point that they stop even believing that there is a hell, uh, that there's a, not a second coming. Uh, that's being taught in our area from churches that were once a part of a very well-established, very solid doctrinal church. So this is something that you will confront in your Christian walk among other believers. Many times we'll work with co-workers thinking they believe the exact same way that we do until the discussion gets a little deeper. And then we'll find out that they're being fed uh, some, some things that are not doctrinally sound. So it, it is by the grace of God that we are born again and empowered for service. But if we are under grace, does that mean that we become lawless? Do we, live, do we have to live under the law? Well, what does Jesus mean when he says that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it? That's where we get down to the nitty-gritty, because that is the words that stirred the pot on this topic. Well, the first thing we need to understand is what Jesus meant when he talks about the law and the prophets. You have to have a deeper understanding of what he's talking about when he references that. When Jesus uses this phrase, it has more than one meaning. It refers to the Ten Commandments, but it also refers to the commandments given in the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah. So when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's speaking of the whole Old Testament, but there was also a fourth meaning that referred to the oral or the scribal law. So the oral or the scribal law is also called the Mishnah. And so now basically the Mishnah is a collection of writings about the law, about 800 pages in the English translation. But for many rabbis, it wasn't enough to say, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. They had to create rules on how to obey the rules, rules for the rules. 
I think we can all relate to that in this day and time, that especially tax time, we're getting there, you're dealing with rules about the rules. So in the context of our passage today, Jesus is probably referring to the whole Old Testament in general, and Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Verse 17 18. So Jesus uses two contrasting words in this passage, both abolish and fulfill. You've got the destruction of something and the fulfillment of another. He's saying, so first he says that, he, that his teaching and his presence on earth does not mean that the law, isn't it interesting that he addresses this because this was going to become an issue, right? This is going to become an issue because it would be easy that after 2,000 years, Jesus, that it just be a gospel of Jesus, right? Which is what we believe. But for us to say, well, when Jesus came, he, he corrected all the old, the old uh, scribes and the Pharisees, all those people that were the religious people. So how they were following the laws, none of that counts. We can pretty much scrap the Old Testament and just go with Jesus' life forward. And there are some who, who will attest to that. But see, instead, he came to be the only human who could actually fulfill the law and the prophets. He was coming to show us that, yes, it's true, you cannot fulfill all of this. That, that God's holiness and God's ways are so great, so holy, so perfect, that in this sinful, fallen nature of yours, you cannot fulfill it. I'm going to show you how I can and do it for you, but then I'll be offered as a sacrifice, the only perfect sacrifice. So notice also that he does not say that he has come to oppose the law either. He, he's not ever dealt with opposing the law of the Old Testament. It was how it was being taught and followed. So Jesus is not telling us that we can, we can because of grace, become lawless. Uh, people were accusing Jesus of breaking the law, but in actuality, Jesus was following the law the way God had intended from the heart. You know, Jesus healed people if he did it on the Sabbath or set them free. Then he, he was breaking their law because he was doing work on the Sabbath. And then he wasn't following the law the way the scribes and Pharisees had interpreted it. They were, he was breaking basically their law, not God's. So Jesus is telling us that the Old Testament, the, the law and the prophets, is necessary even for those who have placed their faith in Christ. That for you to believe in Jesus and follow him, you have to attest to the law as well. Not one of these tiniest commandments, a jot or tittle, will be removed from the law even after his death, burial, and resurrection. It's all going to be the same, have the same authority. Nothing has changed. Now, how can that be? Pastor DJ, how can you say nothing's changed? Jesus changed everything. Yes, he did. He did in the covenant that was made to us on, on how we could be made right before God. But you've got to understand that God's laws in the Old Testament were created for man's benefit. You know, at times there was laws that we don't test to now. You don't eat pork. Okay? I don't know for sure. I'm not God. But I'm guessing the way, reason that that doesn't matter so much now, and that was more of a for the time, is because we didn't have all the ways to keep the pork as good as we do now. I'm not saying it's good for you, right? But we also don't have the medicines. We don't have the help. We don't have the things. Our, our 
our our ability to keep food and there's things so there's things that was for their good and so when you look at the law of the old testament they were put in place because they were the best for man so it doesn't mean we have to bring a bull or a goat to church to be sacrificed so before you go uh, trying to buy a good cow and parade it into the sanctuary we know that the law can be broken down into three types and here's where we we really get down to it the ceremonial law these were the laws pertaining to how Israel was to worship God through sacrifice and ritual. These were particulars that God had set out for his people, the people of Israel, to, to worship him through sacrifice and ritual. We are, because of Christ's sacrifice, no longer bound to offer animal sacrifices. So there's much of that ceremonial law that just doesn't apply to us today. Now, there are movements, too, and I'm not going to fault them, but they are very focused on the reliving the Jewish way of worshiping God and uh, even Messianic Jews that do believe Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior and the Messiah uh, still feel the need to celebrate certain feasts and, and do those things that are consistent with their heritage. But you've got people who aren't Jewish who want to convert and, and follow that. You know, I, I think it's something stamped in us that, that we still try to do things uh, the old way, because we feel like the old way is the best way, right? And so some uh, tend to be more drawn to do it that way. The civil law. These were laws pertaining to normal daily living in Israel, like making loans or borrowing something from a neighbor or handling human waste. These laws were specific to the time they were written and have little to do with us today except in principle and in conduct. I mean, there's things in Scripture about the kind of you know threads you wear and those type of things. I mean, if you really tried to follow all of the law in the Old Testament, not paying attention to what type of law it was and whether God intended us to, to still pay attention to it, you'd be doing some pretty crazy things. But then we have the moral law. And these were laws like the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are moral law. They required strict obedience. You, you can understand when you get into the Ten Commandments, that shall not lie an obvious one if we're all dishonest with each other how can we really have a community how can we really be brothers and sisters how can we really operate as a family if we're not honest with each other that's why we talked about last week and having integrity you know not killing each other uh, that's a one for good health right that, that's probably up there above eating your greens and doing all that stuff just don't kill each other that that takes care of a lot there right so you go down there's a moral law so it's still in effect for us today we 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 see that we work through the rest of Jesus' sermon. He talks about our obligation to the moral law. And that's why this whole breakdown of grace is, is so sufficient. And I don't like using that word in that because it's not a matter of whether grace is sufficient. God's grace can cover any sin anytime. But it's not a license to sin, right? And so this isn't a matter of sufficiency of grace. It's a matter of the application of grace. How, it's applied, how you allow it to be applied to your life, how you try to apply it to your life. So, in other words, you know, Jesus came uh, not to abolish the law to fulfill it. Jesus didn't come to say, okay, now you could kill each other and it's okay. Right? We say that and it's kind of absurd. But if you're going to take it and say that the, the new grace now is all sufficient. So that is a danger and that's exactly the heresy that started growing in this area of, of northwest Arkansas. Because someone could say, hey, I really have this one sin I don't want to let go of. And if I just 
take this scripture and really believe that grace is so sufficient to cover it, then God's already covered it. Jesus already covered it. So, you know what? I can't seem to stop it. So that must be indication that God really designed me this way. And therefore, I can keep sinning because it's already covered. Now, some of you are like, oh, Pastor CJ, you're making that up. No, I'm telling you, that's really something that has been taught to hundreds of people in our area. There are people walking around right now, you may work with some, who really started to buy into that kind of teaching. So we are responsible to teach the truth of God's, God's scripture. And you need to be armed with the truth that you can help explain to them that, hey, there are different laws. And Jesus said he didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And you've got to understand that the moral law is one that Jesus came to fulfill, and he wanted us to make sure that we carried on the same desires to follow those laws. But not in an effort to be right with God, but because we love him, and he's given us grace when we mess up. But our goal is to obey, right? Better to obey than to sacrifice, right? So, the moral law is still effective for us today. And we'll see that as we work through the rest of Jesus' sermon, he talks about our obligation to moral law. As a matter of fact, Jesus will help correct some of the misunderstandings of the law that, that was keeping people from being free to worship God. So look at what Jesus says here. This is verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the, the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same. Here's a very strong warning. Anyone who breaks one of these le- the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Don't lead people astray. You, you need to be careful that you don't start okaying yourself and pull somebody along. Because a strong warning is, is, is you make it into heaven, you'll still be the least. So the Apostle James tells us uh, in, that even if we keep every single law on the books except one, we're guilty of breaking all the laws. Now, folks, in our, ourselves, we are incapable of perfectly keeping the law. This isn't a lesson tonight on us going back to trying to do a checklist of following all the Old Testament laws. And because we're incapable of doing that, we are then worthy of God's wrath. So we know that. We know that we're already worthy of death for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God, right? We, we know that. And, and because we're incapable of doing that and we've, we've uh, incurred God's wrath, the good news is Jesus fulfilled every part of the law and took on God's wrath for us. That's something else us as strong believers know. So through our faith in Christ, we can live without fear of God's wrath. And this is where the internal insecurity gets addressed, okay? Because I grew up with a little bit of eternal insecurity. And I, I've seen it sometimes with my boys. And I've seen it with others, especially young, younger ones in the church. You know, we'll, we'll have altar calls, and every week it's, you know, raising their hand because that week they lied to their brother or sister or whatever. It's like, I'm starting over, right? i got to do a do-over. And, and that's the danger we run sometimes in um, Pentecostal circles because uh, the preaching tends to be very much a holy, about Holy Spirit conviction of our lives to change. And so when we do mess up, we feel like we've totally abandoned God. Uh, but the truth is God's grace does cover a multitude of sins. And, he, and, and when our heart is set on trying to chase after God and not push him away, then his grace covers when we mess up. Now, if we commit sin, we can bring our confession and repentance to Christ. We don't have to have a priest to do that. Thank goodness I don't have to sit in a confessional booth on a little hard bench every here, you know, every day 
behind a little curtain waiting for somebody to walk in. But Jesus fulfilled every aspect of the law. So, his fulfillment of the law paved the way for us to not only live in the blessing of God, but also the salt and light of the world. So there'll be people who will attest to this, you know, grace is, is so much everything that you just might as well ignore the Old Testament. And to them you could say, but because of my love for my God and the fact that he created those and Jesus wanted to fulfill those laws, then I still want to strive to be obedient to those commandments God already gave us out of love and out of obedience to him, but not out of a sense of duty or trying to work my way into heaven. Because that's the way it's projected. It is you cannot start trying to be obedient to these laws, give any credence to, to them, and not be someone trying to work your way into heaven. And that's baloney. Maybe we've gotten too far away from reading the Ten Commandments to our kids and have them memorize them and repeat them regularly. So we must be careful not to see this as an excuse to become lawless, but we also must see it not as an excuse to walk in fear, uh, in the wrong kind of fear of the Lord every day, always feeling like we're on the verge of losing our salvation every time we struggle. John tells us in 1 John 2, 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, listen to this, everyone, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Here is the coolest picture. Some of you may remember when I was still uh, fresh, new here at New Song, my first year. Um, we, I, the only time I've done this, on Wednesday nights, instead of me preaching, we played a video of a message. And, and it was because it was so good, I couldn't dare change anything. And it was when Brian Jarrett preached about Jesus the advocate. And it was truly like that courtroom mindset of God as that righteous judge sitting up there. But Jesus is your attorney. And he's the best there ever was and ever will be, right? And, and so, so you're going through your week and, and you, you stumble. You do something. What, what you've got to realize, and this is so hard for us because we've not seen the heavenly places and how things are operating. But what scripture tells us is, is you know, Chase or Bill or Ken, we do something we're not proud of. We know that we sin. And Jesus is already saying, now, Father, I know that you're, they deserve your wrath because God's wrath often was swift. We read in the Old Testament, we know his pe- the people sinned and God brought his wrath. They went back into captivity. The reason we probably don't have so much happen to us like they did is because Jesus is now advocating for us, right? He says, but, they've, but, but my blood is covered. They've accepted me as their Lord and Savior, so my blood is covered. So, so they're asking for forgiveness, and I've already paid the price. So that's the picture we have that Jesus is paying for the price, not only paid the price in the past, but he's continually advocating for us. So the goal is not to sin. I, I think we could all agree on it. The goal is not to sin. Even, even Paul said, why do I always do the things I shouldn't do? I can't seem to do the things I should. Right? He had that struggle within him too. But we can then come to Christ who advocates for us to the Father. So then Jesus throws this whammy on us. Verse 20 when he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And wow. We're talking about people that knew God's word like the back of their hand. The scribes and the Pharisees were meticulous in carrying out every jot and tittle of the law. They knew it 
so well. They crossed every T and dotted every I. They lived as close to perfect as possible. If they had senior Bible quiz back then, for the scribes and the Pharisees, I'm sure they would slam every team every time, right? They're that good. So how could we surpass their right behavior? Well, here's the deal. We can't. Not in the way they did. Not even the scribes and the Pharisees were as righteous as they thought they were. That's the thing. Their idea of righteousness and what they were doing was not God's idea of righteousness. The scribes and the Pharisees missed the point of the law. It was there to make us realize that we can never be good enough on our own. I know I'm a thief because the law tells me not to steal, but I've stolen. But, but God's grace can cover it, and Jesus advocates for me. And if I understand that, and I live in such a way that I understand that, that my goal is not to sin, but when I do, I have an advocate. That's why they couldn't recognize Jesus when they saw him. They had it so settled, so stuck in their heart, that as long as they could um, determine what the law meant for them, and then they could project it to other people, and they could be the ones that had the say, uh, then they were okay. But they were leading people astray. So the whole purpose of the law was not so we could observe it and have our own righteousness. The law pointed to Christ, who is the only truly righteous person. So we can surpass their righteousness, not by our own goodness, but because of our faith in Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. Ours is but filthy rags. But, but Jesus is the spotless lamb. So, so I've said this saying before, that somebody will say, hey, CJ, I really, uh, I see this quality in you, or I, I really like this. Now, nobody said that in a long time, so, no, I'm kidding. But, um, you know, but if someone brags on something that I've done, there's times that I know so much that God has shown through that you feel automatically that humility says, and I'll, I'll say to them, I'll say, that's just Jesus shining through all the dirt. You know, just, I got out, maybe I got out of the way long enough he could be seen through it, right? And that's not a play on humility, false humility. It's really the truth. We know that none of us are good in our own nature, right? We know that we're not capable without Christ to truly be good people. Are there unbelievable unbelievers who seem like they're really great people and good people? Sure. But we know that they have the same sinful heart that we have. They have the same sinful nature, and so we cannot be good without him. So when we're seen as Christ-like, it's because Christ is shining through. So the righteousness we've received from Christ causes our heart to want to love and obey his commands because we love him. It's so easy when you think of the aspect of a, of a father and son relationship, more so even a grandpa and grandson. I usually see it more in that dynamic. Uh, I mentioned this before, you know, a grandpa can tell a grandson that has a good relationship with him, I'm really disappointed in you, and it'll break him. Now, dads can too. It breaks a son. But there's something worse when grandpa says, I'm disappointed in you. You know, there's something that, uh, innate about that that's stamped in us. And, and really, that's the thing is we want to obey him, not to please him so we're trying to work our way into heaven, but we love him, our heavenly father. We love him, and we want to please him. We want to do it because we love him. And we feel that love back, and so we don't want to disappoint him. A.J. Jacobs, who's an agnostic senior editor of the Esquire magazine, decided to spend an entire year trying to be completely obedient to every command in the Bible as a test. This is agnostic. You know, he hadn't really decided if he believes in God or not. Doesn't think there's the evidence yet to decide. 
In 2007, he wrote a book entitled The Year of Living Biblically. And he says, one thing I learned was how much I sinned. That was a little disturbing. But once you start to pay attention to the amount you lie and gossip and covet and even steal, I was taken aback and that was a real eye-opener. This is what he says. These are profound words from an agnostic. This is what he's saying. And then he says, um, folks, our attempts at making ourselves righteous enough to take away our own sin are futile. So as a matter of fact, what A.J. Jacobs discovered is exactly what God wants us to discover. Our attempt to be perfect our own only reveals how imperfect we really are. And ultimately, this should point us to the realization that we need a Savior. A perfect Savior, a righteous one. We need Jesus. So here's the thing you could say to your friends who, who are ascribing to this, that, that grace is so sufficient that I, I really need not worry about all those times I, I mess up because, because it's just covered. Well, I would tell them, I applaud you the fact that you're not living in fear of God letting go of you, that you just lost your salvation. However, you need to know that Jesus, it does break his heart when we sin, and we shouldn't want to break his heart. So we need to strive to live holy lives, and, and Jesus fulfill the law. So if we really want to love on Jesus, then we'll want to obey his commands. We'll want to obey even those from the Old Testament, under that Old Covenant. I, I don't want to lie. I don't want to covet. I, I want to do right. I want to honor my mother and father. I want to do those things. Because I love Jesus. So are you attempting to do everything right? Follow the rules? The rules the world puts on you? Uh, I mean, we're in a day and time where now Christians are being scrutinized by the way we follow God's rules by those who uh, totally uh, detest God's ways. Or that the enemy puts on us because he says that Christ is not enough. So here's the deal. Any day, especially today, is a good day to lay down the burdens of attempting to to make yourself righteous. Um, Some of us uh, live under guilt when we don't get everything done that we think we're supposed to do for the Lord. And and that's a rough way to live for the Lord. But Jesus said his burden is easy. His yoke is light. So we have a world today driven by many different motives. world's crying out for everyone to have uh, the same concept of righteousness. We're not really supposed to have uh, any one uh, righteousness that one man decides, but really as a community, anything goes because who's to say your righteousness is right over the next? And they don't want a relationship with Christ because they can't make other relationships work, so how can they make that work? But the only true righteousness is in the relationship with Christ. And New Song is a place where a lot of righteous sinners get together. Amen? Some of us don't want to call ourselves that. But you heard me correctly. We're a lot of righteous sinners that get together. That's something interesting that God has um, in me growing over the year, the, the past five years pastoring here is that, you know, there's been one thing that God has not changed, and that's that I still desire one day to see the person that can be here in a, a $1,000 suit sitting next to a homeless person because it's not about the outside, and it's not about what you've done in the past. It's about we're all just one beggar trying to show another beggar how to find bread. And that's the picture of grace, really. It's not about what you get to do forward. It's about what's covered behind you. 
You, you get it? See, Satan wants to remind you of the past. That's how he tramples on grace. He starts wanting to dig up what you did in the past. Then it becomes, well, I did this before. God's forgiven me, so this next thing's not so bad, right? And, and he wants to take away our drive to live more righteous uh, with Christ shining through us. So our goal, when, we're, when we have people come in, you begin to disciple people. I'm praying that each one of you, God will bring someone into New Song that needs you to take them under their wing. Some of them may come from this kind of doctrine where uh, they're just, hey, I don't really have to become any more like Christ because grace has covered it all. And I think that's some of the frustration, and I'm, I, I know we've got some that would consider themselves part of the older generation here. So hopefully this uh, doesn't uh, sound wrong the way I say this, but I think that's probably some of the frustration of the older generation is it seems like we've lost the desire to become more and more like Christ. It's more about just people getting saved, filling the seats, and wearing the name of Christ. But where's the change? You know, I know we can get messed up when we start talking about, well, I want to see them quit wearing those holy jeans, right? <laughs> if they quit wearing those jeans with the, the hole in the knees, but... But I'm not, those are, those are the silly things. But, but seriously, some of us, I think even the younger ones, we grew up with that. And so when someone comes in, it seems like they're just not making any progress towards Christ. So two things about that. It can be in their heart or it can be that the church isn't doing their job discipling. That we aren't looking around saying, I'm called to disciple people. Every one of us as believers are. There's sitting, somebody sitting in the pew. I, I remember a sad time one time at New Song where I had a lady, this was years back when in school, had a lady who had just got saved out of, out of Catholicism and she actually asked, I need a lady to disciple me. And she had said it to me because I worked with her. And, and I reached out to some ladies and nobody took her up on it. And today she's out of church. And I hate to give that example. I don't want to be a downer, but that's the truth of what happens sometimes. I've had people come to me and say, hey, I, I'd love to have, see my spouse in church, but they, they really need someone just to reach out to them. And, you know, it is different when the pastor does it because they always view it as that's your job. They're always leery you know, of the pastor. But it's powerful when someone in the church that has no other reason to do it than they love you. They just want to reach out to you. But when we're truly reaching out to others. And so this whole issue of, of grace and whether it's, that's where we want to see people miraculously change. Yes, at the altar. I'd love to see a, someone who's uh, been a drug, drug addict come in and it's like they are free completely from then and on. But, you know, quite honestly, in my growing up, there's sometimes people get saved and they need a lot of discipling along the way. Some of those things are going to shed off as they get closer. But that's going to take a whole community of believers to do that. So tonight I want to just kind of end our time. Uh, one, we're going to end at the very end with prayer for um, those that are sick. Um, but I want to spend a little bit of time praying for our, our um, community and around this area. Uh, Jennifer and I... From time to time, again, I tell you, there's a lot of hurts in some churches around our area. We need to pray that God will help lead and guide those, those believers to a place they can be discipled. And then also pray that God will help us to, to continue to have a heart to disciple and to be able to take God's word and be able to instill it in those who are new believers. And then we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll stop us at that point and then we'll pray for those who are sick. Lord, I just come to you tonight and I pray, Lord, for northwest arkansas specifically centerton lord we are always uh, becoming aware lord that there are uh, struggles in churches all around we have a lot of them lord but um, it's so easy for us that have been in great churches lord and and uh, some of us have come from other churches where those were great churches and 
we're happy here, but Lord, we haven't really, some of us haven't experienced what can go wrong in a body of believers when a false doctrine is being taught or, Lord, selfish motives like the Pharisees had, Lord, will begin to change people's view of, of what grace really means. And Lord, while we aren't here to pull people away from other churches, Lord, and, and we're not looking to, to grow this church off of the backs of others, Lord, there are some folks that need a place that they can be discipled. They've been led astray, God. They've been led in a wrong direction, and they need strong believers who know your word that will spend time with them. So God, I pray that you'd make us a church of discipleship, Lord, that, that you'd truly help us to disciple others. And God, I pray that we'd also not live in such a way that we're eternally insecure, that every time we struggle in an area, God, we feel like we can't come to you, that we're, we're totally uh, abandoned. And on the other hand, God, let us not trample on your grace and lose our fervor for living according to your word, even your Old Testament commandments, Lord. That moral law, not out of sense of duty or rules, God, but because we love you as our good Heavenly Father. And we want to please you and, and obey. And we just thank you, Lord, that you're going to help us. I pray right now over each person here, God, that you would lead someone to them, that, God, we know that we grow through discipleship as well. And, Lord, we need that growth. We need that growth in our lives. So I pray that right now, God, you'd lead disciples to each and every one of us. I thank you for it, Lord. Help us. Give us strength, Lord. Give us the time in our schedule, Lord. Help us to be ready and willing to serve you and your kingdom and the discipleship of others. Thank you for it, in Jesus' name. The Lord, I also pray for those that are sick in body tonight. God, I pray for each one that this flu and this junk that's going around, God, that you'll just bring healing, bring refreshing to them and their homes, Lord. We pray for this Sunday service, God, that you'll just move, your spirit will move in the service, and God, lives will be changed. Lord, we pray for those who have been with us on Wednesday nights, God, that, uh, that, uh, have not been able to make it. Lord, we just pray that you continue to minister to their hearts, Lord, and, and help them to be able to, to draw back close to the body, God, to be strengthened. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Love y'all, and uh, be, praying for, uh, be praying for this week as we keep moving forward with the building project. Keep me in prayer. Love y'all, and have a good night.